The word multimedia is the use of a variety of artistic or communicative media using more than one medium of expression or communication. Café is a type of establishment that serves coffee and is known as a place where information can be exchanged. The following is the audio version of the Multimedia Café. Welcome to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. We've got a fantastic program in store for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about a trip up to Medora to see how the Bakken oil fields are doing. There's a conference up there. But from there, actually, what we kind of stem into trends, economic indicators, everything from the oil operator down to the cafe owner, because really that is the oil industry. The energy industry is everybody from the producers and operators to the truckers, to the flower shops and the cafe owners. Because honestly, when you're talking about an oil and gas community, it really is the community, the banks, the, the churches, the, the schools, it's just one big energy community. So we talk about that because rig counts are at an historic low right now. And so my guess is, like Mr. Joe Dancy, our energy expert who currently is teaching at Southern Methodist University McGuire Energy Institute. And we talk about just how the ripple works. How, you know, especially coming into a cold season where eh, we can call the winter the cold season going into that and we talk about uh just how the ripple of activity traditionally works so very good conversation with joe dancy a little bit of a um, learning lesson but a fun one joe dancy he uh, understands that first and foremost you got to have a little entertainment with your information in order to make it in today's world i tell you what all right next jeff zarling dawa solutions group Great guy. I know him personally. Uh, he's got a uh, side company called Roughneck Coffee, but his main business, Dawa Solutions Group, just celebrated 20 years in business after servicing a variety of clients in the region. So talk to him about his 20 years of service, Roughneck Coffee, and he's also the person behind the Bakken Oil Product Service Show happens in Williston every year in October. That's right around the corner as well. So I will get a plug from him on that as well. So Joe Dancy, Southern Methodist University McGuire Energy Institute, and Jeff Zarling with Dawa Solutions Group. Looks like that's who we got on the menu for our Week in Review Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies, and I'd like to get right into the first interview. This is Mr. Joe Dancy. This is Joe Dancy, uh, Assistant Director with the SMU McGuire Energy Institute in Dallas, Texas. One of our favorite energy experts here at The Crude Life. Not only does he understand energy, but he travels all over the country to conferences. He gets tours. I've never met anybody that knows more about the history and the present of energy than Joe Dancy. So we appreciate him coming on the program today. Fresh back from a tour of the Bakken oil field up in Medora. Of course, you got the VIP treatment from what I understand. That's what a lot of those operators like to do in North Dakota is, is show you the really nice, you know, velvet glove type well sites, which they need to do anyways. But was that the case? Did you get a nice tour up there in the Medora area? 
Got a fantastic tour. And I'll tell you who I was with, with the Interstate Oil and Gas Compact Commission. It's a commission that was established in the 30s to deal with state regulation and federal regulation of oil and gas. And it's composed of uh, regulatory officials from the state and federal level, as well as executives of uh, oil companies, as well as academics. I fit in the academics end of things, uh, along with a few other uh, professors that come along with me. And we got a, a tremendous tour. And, of course, Jason, as you know, I mean, one of the problems, and not problems, but part of the Bakken is up there is in the Teddy Roosevelt Park. And, of course, you, if you're operating wells either adjacent or next to a national park, you obviously, you know, I know you're going to be watched very closely. And I was very impressed with what we saw. The regulators that I was with were very impressed with what we saw. Um, you know, some of the issues, I mean, these are just common issues that elsewhere is obviously, you know, with electric lines, you know, you can't really run an electric line, you know, through the middle of the park. And so quite a few of the sites, everything was self-generated electricity and they were actually what they were doing instead of flaring the natural gas or actually selling the gas. They were using natural gas for electrical generation to power their site. And um, it, it was it was very interesting, and I, I didn't know. Here's a couple facts that I was really sort of impressed with. This is my first time really to the Bakken. To I've been to North Dakota, I just haven't been out to see the wells. And a um, couple number one, the oil is a really light oil, it was 43 API. And actually, if you I sent you the link, I went out in the driveway. I they gave me a bottle of it to take home. As a typical professor, I was asked the president of the company was given a tour and i said Jim, can i take a bottle of that home and he was like well dude because yeah here's a water bottle and he stuck some crude in it and i got it uh, i won't tell you how i got it to dallas but it wasn't on the airplane put it that way um i got it got it to dallas and i took it out in the driveway and you know most crude oil at least in texas is a, a heavier type and it's it'll ignite but it's not very easy to ignite the balkan stuff it, it was like gasoline it, it went up very quickly and um, illustrates the fact that, you know, when you transport that stuff, it, you need to be concerned. Of course, it had probably some natural gas liquids in it. You have to be concerned about the flammability and, you know, whether you put it in a tank car or whether you put it in a pipeline, um, you, you have some flammability issues. The other interesting thing is, of course, the water cut up there is above 50%. And uh, the water was 280,000 parts per million um salt which means it's 28 percent salt which is it's saturated and it really he goes when it comes up you know as it cools you do have some you know potentially salt issues with things you know salting up and and then you and it's 300 degrees it's 10,000 feet deep was the wells we were at and then the, the laterals were 10,000 feet long so you have two miles down two miles across roughly and um and it's 300 degrees fahrenheit so everything not only is it salty, it's really hot. And then he told me, and of course, thank God I was up there, you know, this time of year. He goes, you know, in January, it could be 30 below and you'd have a blizzard out here. And we inject right on the well site. We inject the salt water because we don't want to, because we don't want to truck salt water off the site because of potential, you know, when it's a blizzard and it's 20 below, you don't want a truck full of salt water going down a small gravel windy road. And so, uh, but he said, actually, it gets so cold that the salt water will actually freeze up between the storage tank and the salt, salt and everything else. So they actually they built it looks like a little garage that has the injection, the injection uh, wellhead 
And they said the only reason they stick that out there is because, you know, they don't want the injection well freezing up. So I was very impressed, though. They did a great job, and uh, the regulators were impressed. There were a lot of good questions. Um, and it's a, you know, they did say when you have construction activity in the middle of winter, the ability to keep construction workers when, you know, the average temperature is seven below in January or whatever it is up there, um, they said it's difficult even if you pay them really well you know the, you have a big turnover but uh but such is life that's uh you know if you want to work you can make good money mr joe dancy i'm gonna ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two we're gonna take a brief pause we come back we'll continue the conversation with joe dancy southern methodist university mcguire energy institute my name is jason spies and this is the multimedia cafe we can review The first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative. The cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects. Groundbreaking. With construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Weekend Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Joe Dancy with the Southern Methodist University Energy Institute. You know, just the oil industry's ties to North Dakota as far as the, the amount of dollars and just the, the sheer, I'll be honest, the sheer reliance the state has on the oil and gas industry itself. I mean, there's even some turnovers when you're talking about drilling permits, Joe. Yeah, actually, you make some really good points. The uh, the governor of North Dakota actually talked to us for an hour. He is an awesome speaker. He was, and one of the things he brought up was just what you noted: is the reliance of the state government on oil and gas revenues. He's a, you know, was a, I can't remember his, his entire story, but it's a very, he's a businessman type. Uh, and one of the problems, or not one of the problems, one of the things he was proud about, and I don't know whether this is a, and I don't know if it was a party issue or whatever, but they actually have some new legislation, you're probably aware of it, where they're increasing the split of oil royalties with the Native American tribes. So the Native Americans can actually develop on their lands more of the oil and gas resource and so and i don't know the numbers involved he talked about it i sort of it went you know in one of my ears and out the other i didn't take any notes because obviously north dakota specific and i'm down here in texas and in oklahoma 
uh, and I really, you know, the, the revenue structure up in North Dakota is sort of interesting, but it is, but you know, you talk about a God awful, beautiful place. Medoro was beautiful. We stayed in Bismarck for a day when we went up there. Of course, getting up there is, is a somewhat of a challenge. Some of the people from California were complaining about, you know, the number of planes they had to use to get to, I guess, Dickinson or Bismarck, but, but Lord knows, I mean, and, and, you know, for six months of the year, uh, and, and I love winter, so it's one of those deals, if, uh, but, I, and as you know, if you're in the oil business, there's probably no better place to really jump in, and obviously, and I, of course, working and having spent the last two years, I'm in Dallas now with SMU, but having spent the last two years in, uh, in Oklahoma, of course, you have Continental Resources, and Harold Ham right there in Oklahoma City, and they're, uh, He's a legend. It's a great company, and they're up there drilling up the, drilling up the, uh, drilling up the farm, so to speak. And and then we got a, we also got a tour of um, the Freiburg oil and gas uh, rail facility, and they're shipping out you know every day sixty five thousand barrels of oil. Every um, every tank car I think is six hundred fifty barrels, and they have a hundred a hundred and three cars per. And you. Jason, they would let let us take pictures because a, a potential, you know, the, the cameras have to be uh, spark proof so there's no explosions. But the, I can tell you, they've been in operation now for five or six years, and they've loaded crude oil for five or six years. The the cement, the everything, the buildings, they look like you could eat off the floor. I mean, it was just incredibly. And I think they're operated now by I think Marathon, but I forget exactly who's who's involved up there. But uh, the Freiburg terminal. And I don't know if they give tours to everybody, but it was very impressive, not only the physical terminal, not only the rail cars, but inside, you know, they had a super, it was like a NASA um, control room with, you know, all sorts of indications of, you know, crude oil temperatures, crude oil pressures. It took them, it took them, I think, about 40 minutes uh, to load every 600 and 650 barrel car. And um, they had, they load 18 cars at a time. And they, um, it's very, it's very it's a very interesting operation, and of course, you compare that to pipelines. Um, it's a, it's a very different operation. And I, um, on one hand, I, you know, probably statistically, rail transport is more dangerous. On the other hand, they're hiring. You know, I can't remember how many people they have employed there, but just to fill the train, they have, you know, three people on the cars all the time, and then they were shipping out liquefied natural gas, also or liquefied um, petroleum gas, and and. Uh, propane, et cetera, from another from the same terminal at a different loading station. So you you have you know good employment up there, and, and uh, for the rail cars versus a versus a pipeline where you probably don't have as many people involved, but it it may be statistically a bit safer. Although you can argue, I mean, you guys had that big spill here a few years ago where it leaked for several months, and they're still cleaning the, the thing up. So uh, anyway, that's my impression of. Uh, and the regulators did have some concerns about, you know, uh, both North Dakota, actually um, the whole industry in general. And we can talk about that if you want to go there. Yeah, I wouldn't mind talking about that a little bit for a couple of reasons. One is what I mentioned earlier about, you know, we've got some bigger companies making some changes. You know, we don't need to cite whiting every time as the prime example, but in the Bakken, it's certainly applicable because whiting is the largest mineral rights holder in the Bakken. So they've they've went through some changes. Other companies have gone through changes, especially down in Texas. So you've got, you know, you've got 
leases that are transferring in some cases to very unexperienced companies, especially in North Dakota, getting ready to drill in sub-zero temperatures for the first time. So to me, that's a concern. Number two, much like the last downturn, we saw people having to sharpen their pens and their pencils, especially on frac sand. I mean, frac sand, I think they had to figure out a way to make their product half as cheap and quite twice as fast and twice as quick, you know, the last downturn. And they did. Good for them. That seems like it's going on right now with innovation. The shelf life of innovation is like a year long, two years long. And then if the companies don't innovate, they get dropped for a new, shinier, better company. Do you, do you understand what I mean by this, Joe? Yeah, exactly. Actually, there's, that's, those are some really good points. I, one of the concerns about the regulators, and these are state and federal regulators, um, they bring up, you know, we're in a very volatile industry and things are starting to slow down a little bit. And what the regulators are real concerned about is some of the properties being forcefully sold. Either, you know, the bankers say, hey, you need to sell properties to improve your balance sheet or, you know, you may be going out of business. So you need to forcefully, you know, have the property transfers from, say, a larger company to a smaller company or actually a smaller company to a smaller company it really doesn't matter. But what the regulators are concerned about, Jason, is the fact that if you are acquiring properties, um, the financial responsibility for plugging or for an environmental problem, you know, if you have a, if you have uh, um, frac fluid come to the surface and you have to clean it up, you need to have the financial resources. And under the bonding um, surety type of situation they have now, you know, you may have you know one plugging bond for fifty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars, and have you know ten thousand wells and Obviously, if you go bankrupt or have some really, you know, credit issues, um, and you have environmental problems, uh, the state doesn't want to. The state doesn't want the public to get stuck with, and with with wells that are not plugged or not being operated. And this has happened in Pennsylvania in the last four or five years. There's an operator that went bankrupt there, and he left, or they left uh, hundreds of wells that were unplugged. Actually, it happened, I think, in Wyoming also with the. Uh, coal bed methane wells where where a small operator got a hold of you know thousands of these wells and ends up in the state of wyoming as i understand you know got stuck with 20 million dollars with a plugging liability um so on the other hand the regulators understand the business and they said you know we don't want to jump in joe and tell people you know you can't sell properties and you can't buy property because that's part of the business i mean you, you and i if we both were operating up in north dakota and, you know, depending on where our acreage is at, you and I would be probably swapping acreage or swapping wells because, you know, you know, you have five well sites and you could if I send you my 10 well sites and then you have an acreage where I'm operating, I'll buy five of your well sites and we'll swap the acreage. You know, those type of deals, they happen all the time. And that's why, you know, you get landman, you get right away agents, you get companies, the finance people, all the lawyers, you get, the, get them involved in all these transactions. And uh the, the regulators don't want to stop in. They don't want to stop that because they realize how dynamic it is. On the other hand, you know, if you are if you are unloading some, you know, marginal properties on someone who really is irresponsible or can't, I won't say irresponsible, but they can't be responsible because they don't have the capital structure to operate correctly. 
you know, that creates some real issues for them. And so they're all scratching their heads as to what the heck to do. And they, this has been an issue the last two or three years, but it's becoming the voices are getting a little louder because rightfully or not, they are looking down the road and saying, gee, things seem to be slowing down a bit. And of course, you look at the drill, the rig count nationwide is down like 12%, which things are slowing down a little bit. Um, and I don't know where things are going. Of course, natural gas prices too are really, really low. And that's an entire other issue with regard to flaring up there and how well industry has responded. But uh, so that was some of the, some of the concern. And and that was Joe Danzi with Southern Methodist University McGuire Energy Institute. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. The Multimedia Cafe is part of the Crude Life Media Network. You can check us out on Facebook and Twitter, even the YouTubes, all of our social media links, as well as our exclusive interviews and other information available at thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. My name is Jason Spies, and this is the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. All right, coming up next, we have Jeff Zarling with the Dawa Solutions Group. Jeff Zarling, Dawa Solutions Group. All right, our levels look great. Let's get right into this interview here with Mr. Jeff Zarling with Dawa Solutions Group and also the proud proprietor of a coffee brand as well. So let's start the interview off before we get to the main event with a little appetizer and serve some coffee up for the folks. Talk about your coffee company and how that kind of got started. That's yeah, a bit of a long winding story, but the brief description is um, I own a grain elevator in downtown Williston and have been looking at redevelopment ideas which had led me to look at craft brewing and coffee shops and other things in addition to condos and office space, et cetera. That exploration led me to look at a coffee business with somebody and led me to 
more of the supply chain, and I got interested in the roasting side of the business. Uh, it's kind of a hobby, actually. Um, and then additionally, that just rolled into branding with our exposure and experience in the oil and gas industry for the last 18 years. Um, and we've developed Roughneck Coffee. Roughneck Coffee. Uh, talk to me about where people can get it, because that's another unique part of your uh, distribution model as well. I should say your business model is is getting it out to the masses in kind of a, I don't know, I call it a unique way. Well, we've got, uh, you know, traditional retailers. Um, you can get a Little Muddy Gifts in Williston, the um, gift shop at the visitor center near the airport in Williston. Um, and then we partner with safety companies because, you know, we're oil and gas guys and gals get their training and their PPE and stuff. Um, so we sell through air gas, on-site safety, everything safety, basin safety carries our product. And then, of course, direct to consumer online at roughneckcoffee.com. All right. So if there's a safety company out there, they can certainly get in touch with Jeff if they want to distribute that coffee as well. Uh, we're here to talk about Dawa, which has also has a milestone. I shouldn't say also. I mean, Roughneck Coffee is probably about a year old, isn't it? Uh, May of 18 is when we launched that. Okay, a little over a year old then. Uh, but you've got your your main company, the reason we're here today to talk, is uh, is just reached a milestone. Is it 20 years that you've been operating now? 20 years. That's got to be pretty exciting for you. It is. Um, you know, we kind of recognized that about a year ago that we were coming up on our 20th anniversary. So we uh, decided to um, hold an event to celebrate the milestone with our, our customers and our clients and, and our colleagues that we've worked with over the years on numerous projects. Um, planning in earnest started earlier this year, probably January, February, started going through our client list, past projects. Um, you know, we do a lot of photography for our events and, and for the, the creative material that we do. So we had a ton of just reflection, um, so it's been interesting to look at the evolution of our business as well as the evolution of our clients. Um, we have a lot of very long-term clients that uh, as they grow, we grow. Um, and, and we take great pride in being a part of their business and helping them succeed. We're like a part of their team for, for many of our clients because we build systems that they use to run their business. We have basically two core uh, competencies. We have programmers and we have creatives. And in addition to that, project management um, is a core skill of ours. So um, we build websites, web-based applications, and do the creative, everything from logo design, uh, print material, trade show graphics, etc. And so um, some of our clients we've been working with for over a decade uh, we built the load pass permit system um, to, ma to manage that previously paper process. I think it was back in 2009 or eight or something like that. Um, so it's been a long time, a lot of reflections, been nostalgic. It's kind of like looking 
picture, all the pictures when your kids are graduating and you're putting together their party and a lot of reflection. Jeff Zarlin's our guest with Dawa. I, I met you, I believe, in Minot. I couldn't remember if it was the uh, Golden Valley Country Club down in Minnesota, outside of Minneapolis, or if it was Minot uh, at a, an event that you you put on that you were the promoter organizer yeah, it for. Was Minot. It was a Minot one. Okay, I, I couldn't remember if you were down at that uh, Minneapolis one or not. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But that was probably 2013, 2014, just if I'm going off the top of my head here. Um, talk to me a little. Oh, go ahead. 12. Yep. That was 2012. Excuse me. Okay, well, there we go. I'm, I'm dating myself here with my memory. <laughs> Uh, you know, a lot's changed since then. You know, we've had we've had the ramp up to hundred dollar oil. We've had the downturn. We've had the the uh, ramp up to you know sixty dollar oil, seventy dollar oil. We'll call it whatever you want to say. Now we're having kind of that age of uncertainty right now. I don't know if you're hearing it, but I'm certainly hearing it out there from the Utica down to the Permian to the DJ to the Bakken. That you know, a variety of reasons companies overspent and. You know, you got the whole Colorado blueprint with their uh, regulations that is a ban on oil and gas and a number of different things. So there is a, a whiff of uncertainty out there. But from then to now, just tell me about your experience a little bit from living in Williston, from, you know, relocating there and, and kind of going to, you know, church and seeing the the, the roughnecks, kids and families and, and being a part of it, because this is the listeners out there are going to take advantage of this because this is a real good opportunity to listen to the past, you know, 10 years of a booming oil patch out there. So um, how how's it been the last 10 years for you? Well, really, it's been the last 18, you know, huh. I started business um, in Minneapolis in 99 and we moved. I was doing contract programming for small businesses and focused on the building industry, moved my company here to be near family in May of 02. Um, it wasn't long after that, Jason, that, that uh, we started hearing the rumblings. I mean, it started with the Elm Cooley Field in 2003. My brother-in-law worked, uh, you know, downhole pumps, and I remember him talking about the activity in the Elm Cooley. And that was really... Um, you know, it was a group, I think some Halliburton uh, veterans that put together the concept of applying uh, horizontal drilling and the hydraulic fracturing to the, to the middle member. I mean, um, you know, trying to tap that Bakken shale formation has been going on since they drilled the HL Bakken 1 in 52 or 53. There's conflicting records on that. But down in the Billings Nose, the Ness and Anacline, um, you know, they've been trying to tap into that vertically into the upper member and but it was at elm cooley that we started to see activity but then um it was in what june of 2006 that eog hit the partial discovery well and in 2006 it just started to get uh, really crazy around here um you know people talk about 11 and 12 but in december of 2007 uh, I served on the Williston Development Foundation Board, Tom Ralstead's um, group, Economic Development. And that December, uh, we typically had our annual meeting and awards for economic development. And he converted that thing into building the Williston Basin Summit because of what we were facing from six and seven 
Um, and in fact, I think if you search, do a Google search on that Williston, building the Williston Basin Summit, you'll find the agenda and pictures out there. Um, state leadership, um, Senate and House Majority Leaders, uh, the cabinet members, DOT, housing finance, uh, uh, Governor Hovind was here. Um, I believe that was December of 08. We, we were ringing the bell back then saying, this is coming. Has, there were a number of operators that were telling us what was coming. And we just couldn't get anybody to buy into the idea that this was going to be long-term and as significant as it was. And you know, the next few years, every year, it was just uh, exponential increase in activity, um, challenges, infrastructure problems. Mr. Jeff Zarling, I'm going to ask you to hold that thought for just a moment or two. We're going to take a brief pause. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation with Jeff Zarling with the Dawa Solutions Group. My name is Jason Spies. This is the Multimedia Cafe. To get your mind blown Mind blown, your mind blown I'll show you something Historic, the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever The model for future shale basin projects Groundbreaking with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. Make energy great again. Yes, that is the hat for the energy industry, folks. Wear it proudly. Show your support for the nation's energy industry with this attention-grabbing fashion declaration. Make energy great again. Pick up the only hat for the energy industry. Make energy great again. Visit keepenergygreat.com. That's keepenergygreat.com. Welcome back to the Multimedia Cafe. My name is Jason Spies. Thank you, folks, for pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. Coming up next, we continue the conversation with Jeff Zarling with the Dawa Solutions Group. There were a number of operators that were telling us what was coming, and we just couldn't get anybody to buy into the idea that this was going to be long-term and as significant as it was. And... You know, the next few years, every year, it was just uh, exponential increase in activity, um, challenges, infrastructure problems. Um, we were ringing the bell on housing, workforce. Uh, I mean, we were yelling as loud as we could to get help and doing it as much as we could. Um, and it was just every year we couldn't believe the numbers. We couldn't believe the charts. We, when is it going to stop? You can't have this kind of exponential growth endlessly. And it just set, it kept going year after year. And it was finally in actually the end of 2010 
when uh, we just couldn't see traction with the housing that I got. And, and, and uh, all the businesses come, I mean, we're t- literally talking about hundreds of businesses and thousands of people descending upon Western North Dakota. When you think about the, the, the average wealth price, they were putting $20 billion worth of economic activity into a state that had state GDP of, I think, $52 billion at the time or, or something like that. The GDP numbers are exponential growth as well. Are, you know. So with everybody descending, and our name was on a lot of things. By that time, we had been here eight years. We had done the websites for the city, the county, the hospitals, the banks. I mean, we were kind of a weird resource in a town of 12,000 people to have our, our skill set. Um, you just didn't see it in a rural community like that. So, so we ended up doing a lot of things. Our name was on everything. We became a connecting point. I mean, people referred to us as the other economic development office. And people were coming to us, say, how do we connect? How do we do business? And it just, the format wasn't there. So that's when we created the Bakken Oil Products and Service Show in October of 2011. But in pitching that show, um, somebody connected me with Vance, um, at the sleep in and Minot, and they had just moved the Williston Basin Petroleum um, Conference from Minot to Bismarck because of the size and growth of that. They needed more space and hotel rooms. So they wanted to do something there. And we saw an opportunity and a need to connect people to invest in the opportunities in Western North Dakota to help us solve problems. So we actually created the Bakken Investor Conference in, uh, we ran it in uh, June of 2011. Um, we had just over a hundred people attend that event, but as we go back and reflect, we ran that event for three years, 11, 12, and 13. That's one you were at. Um, I think you were at 12 and 13. And I look back at those photos and I can see the people in that room who are the people that did projects in land development, housing construction, and other projects in Western North Dakota that helped us build the housing and the, the commercial real estate and the industrial stuff that we needed. Um, it, was, it, was, it was fascinating to, to look through those photos and see the faces of, of people who we now know today are the ones that came in, did projects, are still here. I mean, Mike Dolbeck from Bismarck, Winsong Homes, he, I saw him in, in photos along with you know, just others. Um, sessions and, and, and some of those that have made deep investments and commitments to helping us build what we needed. The other one was, you know, after we had done the investor conference and then the oil show, we turned right around and started planning for the 2012 investor conference. And at the same time, just the frustration with the lack of housing, we, we put together the housing summit, the Bakken housing summit in May of 2012 in Williston at the airport in, we had over 350 people. We had to close registration. The fire marshal was getting mad at me because of the amount of people we had in that facility. And I mean, we had investors from across the country, around the world. We had people attending from Spain, Australia, um, Singapore, um, a lot of stuff from Florida, California, Texas, uh, New York. Um, and, and, we had state leadership, we had local builders, we had um, 
just a ton of resources. We had Barry Ruttenberg, who was the president of the National Association of Home Builders at the time, um, spoke. Um, we had Housing Finance, uh, Mike Anderson at the time. Um, just we had a state panel how to do business in North Dakota. We had, um, you know, just just all of that, and and it was about connecting people. I mean, I I couldn't build houses to solve that problem, but we knew we could create an environment to bring people together that were capable of doing it, show them what the need was, and and we saw people connecting and getting deals done and making things happen. So that was 11, 12, and 13 were kind of the, I'd, I'd say that was the crucible moments where we were just, that was when the pressure was probably the greatest, the infrastructure needs were the greatest. And it was after that that we started seeing DOT investing in in roads. Uh, we got the Laws Project off the ground. 2010 was when the planning started for the XWA airport. Um, and, and we saw jet service in, I think, June of 12 after they did that resurfacing. The resurfacing of that airport to get the jet service took place the week of our oil show in October of 2011. It was kind of a bit of an inconvenience, but it also shed light on designing the airport in such a way that potentially you could use a taxiway uh, for your runway during maintenance and construction. So it, it, it's been extremely interesting uh, to look back and reflect. I mean, during the downturn, we had an opportunity to pause. I mean, the downturn was such a severity that, I mean, we had 40 to 60% decline in our business for three years in a row. Um, so it was uncomfortable, um, but uh, we survived that. And then we've seen, you know, the, the return of activity. Um, it's been interesting to, to hear people talk about the different phases and the names that we gave them, you know, lower for longer and the new normal. And it's been interesting to reflect on some of those things as well. And that was Jeff Zarling with the Davos Solutions Group. To listen to the full-length interview or to check out other exclusive interviews, visit thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. That's going to do it for today's Multimedia Cafe Week in Review. I'd like to thank Joe Dancy with the Southern Methodist University McGuire Energy Institute and Jeff Zarling with Davos Solutions Group for coming by today's cafe, the Multimedia Cafe, pulling up a stool and joining the conversation right here at the Multimedia Cafe, a place where you never know who you're going to run into or what we're going to talk about. If you'd like to access past interviews, exclusive interviews, sponsors, or maybe just check out our social media network of Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. Go to thecrudelife.com. That's thecrudelife.com. Click on any link that you want, and we have all kinds of options for you. The Multimedia Cafe is part of The Crude Life. From the staff here at The Multimedia Cafe, my name is Jason Spies, asking you to savor life and enjoy the spice.
the first full conversion refinery to be built in the U.S. in over 40 years. Innovative, the cleanest, most technologically advanced downstream project ever. The model for future shale basin projects, groundbreaking, with construction resuming in early 2019. The Davis Refinery. Jason Spies, the most trusted voice in the Bakken. I totally agree with you, and the word that you brought into this is fact. You tell the facts, and then you let people make up their own minds. If you want someone who's competent, you don't want to get a bunch of rookies. Love listening to Jason Spies on the radio, and if I miss him there, I catch him online. Let's bring in Jason Spies, who is a multimedia journalist in North Dakota. Um, Jason, what's your thought on this? No one does an interview like Jason Spies. 